Happy uh, New Year! Almost. Happy almost New Year to you too. I think too. when hopefully when this comes out, it'll be New Year's Eve. Oh, that sounds good. So you can um, at midnight, I would say, <laughs> turn the music down, uh, get everybody to shut up, and uh, just play this. Yeah, that's a great idea. Way to what a way to ring in the New Year. Yeah, ring in the New Year with Matt and Hillary. Some uh, discussion about writing a constitution on Mars. That's right. <laughs> This is the this is Marooned on Mars with Matt and Hillary, the show where we talk about the Kim Stanley Robinson Mars trilogy part by part. That's right. That's right. In currently part three, right, of Blue Mars. We're in part three? Part three. Yeah. The new constitution. A new constitution. A new constitution. The uh well, the a. indefinite article and the definite article, there's really a big important difference between yeah. them. Yeah, that's right. Articles matter. You can man feel you can seem a lot smarter. This is something I learned in graduate school <laughs> early on. You can seem a lot smarter by substituting the indefinite article for the definite article. Uh, yes, yes, yes. Because indeed. it implies that you're aware of all kinds of other so if you're just talking about a new constitution versus right. the new constitution, mm, right. then the person you're talking to is like, he's only talking about a new constitution, which means he must think, he must know that other new constitutions exist all over the place. Or or I feel like it can make you sound like you're talking about something conceptual, right. like the concept right. of a new constitution, right. as opposed to just like some boring factual right. thing. That It also always makes me think of... Um, my mom went to the University of Chicago in the mm-hmm. late 50s as an undergrad, where I believe, according to her, she performed with uh, stellar C grades throughout. But she took and a back cl- then that meant something <laughs> different than it means today. I, I think it meant, you know, average. Average. <laughs> Uh, my mother is a very smart person, just to say that. But uh, she has a story about taking she. So her English classes, I think she was an English major. Okay. I'm actually not sure about that. But her English classes were with you know the faculty of the, you know English department at the time, were like new critics, like fairly famous like new critics. So it's all about like you know close reading the text and like irony and ambiguity. Mm. And the one her one example of that is learning. Um, in somebody's class um, that you're supposed to really pay attention to the articles in things like it makes a big difference whether that Henry James novel mm. is called a portrait of the lady or the <laughs> portrait of a lady <laughs> a turn of a screw exactly and uh, I I have like some of her um uh, like I have like a volume of like maybe Wallace Stevens poems and like a few other books that were hers in college. And <laughs> they have these very sweet girlish handwriting penciled notations in uh, them, which are very clear. Yeah. She was paying a lot of attention yeah. to what the article. You got to pay attention to the articles. Are. You know, so thanks to the new critics, uh, Matt and I know how to uh, 
know the difference between A and the. I just picked it up intuitively. I didn't need the new critics to teach me that. I just figured it out on my own. That's right. Everyone's born knowing how to close read. (laughs) Um, I just finished the other, before we get into the chapter, Mm. um, I just finished reading Red Moon again for the, Mm. finished it my second time around the other day. Nice. It's like so good. Yeah. Um, you know, if you haven't bought it already, go out and get it because uh, it's a really great. And the ending is really great. I think there's a little bit of controversy about it because it's kind of very open ended. Mm-hmm. It just ends with like this. I mean, it's completely open ended. And so it, I think um, especially on the Facebook page, people have been saying like it's begging for a sequel. Is it going to be a new trilogy? And I think it, the ending is fantastic. Yeah, like it yeah. just holds you in this um, moment of like satisfaction but also suspense and like lets your imagination just sort of run wild with what's going to happen next and the the kind of infinitude of possibilities that that uh, awaits all the characters that that have been uh you've been introduced to in the in the book so I think it's so cool yeah I I agree and I think that like open-endedness works very well since part of what the moon is clearly is a place of uh, closed mm. pocket utopias, mm. right? Closed off spaces mm-hmm. um, with no possibility for the opening mm. up, right? Um, and also because, of course, there's this whole, like, I think actually really great storyline about pregnancy. Yeah, that's so cool. Um, and, you know, like that, um, uh, I, I, I think it's actually very interesting to end with, like, I mean, as we talked about, two people, mm-hmm. two adult people and mm-hmm. a baby person mm-hmm. who are not a family mm-hmm. and no, there's no story ahead. There's no set story ahead yeah. for what would happen to them. I, I think that that openness is really great. I was at the um, Art Institute mm-hmm. yesterday and in the um, uh, one of the Chinese scroll paintings that they have out right now is a painting of the legend of the peach blossom oh, stream, right. which is Fang Fei's um, little pocket yeah. utopia on the moon, mm-hmm. and the illustration of it is like fantastic and and totally like uh, um, there were things in it that were recognizable to me from the description of them mm-hmm. in Red Moon. Yeah. So I like imagined it was this like. 17th century or 16th century or whenever the scroll is from sorry my history is really really bad uh but uh you know this illustration of a place on the moon anyway awesome yeah no i was last uh over the holidays i was in southern california visiting family and my partner and i went to the huntington library and gardens and they have a chinese garden that is uh i think kind of uh you know meant to be similar to that style i mean i'd have Mm. to probably look at the scroll and compare but it's a very low rent version of Mm -hmm. it obviously it's Mm -hmm. like not anywhere near as big as fang fei's (laughs) uh cave and like uh just over the hillside you can see like big old earth movers and stuff so (laughs) it kind of like takes you out (laughs) of the notion that you're uh, you know in uh pre-modern china but it's it's very lovely and those uh, gardens are if you're ever out there go check them out because they're uh, amazing we we spent a lot of time in the desert biome or yeah, whatever they call awesome. it <clears throat> these amazing cactuses and stuff and i couldn't help but feel a little like sax just sort of staring <laughs> at these like amazing like plant life creatures yeah yeah um the other thing I did was I finished, I've gotten caught up on Mr. Robot. You ever watch Mr. Robot? Um, I watched the first, I think the first two seasons of yeah. it. I don't think I've watched 
Are there three seasons? There's three now? seasons. And like there's a fourth one starting next year, which will be the final season. But I just thought that it was really interesting to think about in compare I'm just throwing this out there as kind of but uh, because the because China mm-hmm. plays such an important role in right. um, Mr. Robot and right. in Red Moon. So there's a kind of interesting um, moment we're at here in comparison, especially to the Mars trilogy where China is just not a major player. Mm-hmm. Um that much really at all whereas 20 years on 25 years on both red moon and mr robot and probably you could throw in some other text or something we're at this really uh critical moment in history where the 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 big conflict between the u.s and china and all these multinational meta-national corporations um is sort of uh you know, right on the surface and, and being played with in a lot of different types of culture and stuff. I think it's, if anybody needs a topic for a PhD or an <laughs> MA thesis, oh, I think yeah. it's a good one. Yeah, it is a good one. I, I mean, it does seem like um, my I, my memories of Mr. Robot are confused because yeah. of how fucking confusing it's that very show confusing is. Show. Um, but uh, it does feel like it plays much more into a kind of... Um, I mean, it plays into a kind of set of stereotypes about China, right? Right. You know, which are oddly, like, depoliticized, right? Like, yeah. you know, I feel like this is a way... Something I really liked about Red Moon is just that I felt like it takes... Mm-hmm. I mean, of course, as one would expect, like, it takes communism and also socialism really seriously and like part of the representation of China is about struggles about like what does it mean to or what does it look like to continue to be socialist right um uh uh and then Mr. Robot I feel like you you get this very like there's a there is a kind of like orientalism to the representation of the Chinese in it right I mean doesn't B.D. Wong plays like yeah a trans person yeah maybe yeah i can't maybe. remember anyway bd wong plays the character that bd wong is always having to play <laughs> <laughs> like an evil uh gender ambiguous person yeah um anyway yeah yeah and he yeah and he also is his relationship he's not the premier of china or anything but he does seem to be like the most powerful person in china it also plays into this idea that the people who are nominally in charge uh, are not the people who right. are actually in right. charge. Right, this very conspiratorial account on, of what China Yeah, is. well, on both yeah. sides of the Pacific, right, or yeah. all around the world, is that yeah. the most powerful person in America is not the president, it's the CEO of Evil Corp, right? Right. right. Um, but I think that's an inter- those are interesting sort of intersections. Um, let's get into this Oh, yeah, book. yeah. I think that it's also interesting that Red Moon ends on that note that you were talking about and this chapter ends on a slightly similar note although one that's like maybe you know it's clear that he wrote this 25 years ago and that there there's like this romantic connection between Nadia and Art by the end of the chapter (laughs) that's sort of one-sided and by the time we get to Red Moon there's like this no romance at all, but they're partners. Yeah. Right. They like at the end of Red Moon, Chi is basically mm. really scared that Fred is going to like leave her because she's like, I need you here. There's no love involved. There's no romance. It's just like we are partners. We are bound quantumly entangled or something <laughs> like that. And uh, and and they form a new kind of weird family that's not a family. Right. Yeah. And similarly, this chapter ends with like Art and Nadia reaching this new kind of phase in their relationship mm-hmm. that is um confusing ambiguous weird right well yeah i mean i was thinking i love the 
um, the description of Nadia's at some point. So once again, here she becomes the person who's like, I'm just going to run things. Yeah. And, and, you know, like it's her quality as an engineer and as an extremely competent person. Um, and as someone who people, it's her, it's those, those, her competence that allows her to be the person who can actually sort of make things happen. And she makes things happen in a different way than art does. Yes, art is like right. somebody who's like, sees his, um, you know, like his raison d'etre is making things happen. And, and that's, you know, getting things going, pushing mm-hmm. people, like having the con- conversations or whatever. And that's not mm-hmm. really Nadia's. Mm-hmm. But there's that great line in here about um, her, she has the, the, the charisma of the sensible. Yeah, yes. <laughs> Which is like a lovely, I mean, and then there's this, and then in, in that section where we, we get that line about her having the charisma of the sensible, which I think is also maybe where art talks about like how many different colors there are in her eyes. Mm. Um, and we have this kind of image of her like as looking younger. She's like gone past the wrinkled stage <laughs> and smooth again, uh, which is fascinating. Um, but uh, there's this sense there that people have an a that like one of the things that really matters about Nadia is not just her competence, but that people are attached to her mm. and they want to make her smile, mm. that the smile, that there is a feeling. And, and that I think is like, you know, she's so serious that smiling and mm. laughter are rare, but when they when they happen, they're extraordinarily genuine. And so, you know, you've done something right. Yeah. 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 And that's like, and that is a different, I mean, that's a very different version than like the charisma of leadership in like John Boone. Yeah. Right. Um, and that that has something to do with that she produces um, in what's obviously like her uncharismatic charisma, she produces this sense of attachment. And it seems like that's part of what happens, like part of what happens with art mm-hmm. is that, you know, that sense that there is a kind of like love or attachment all around Nadia like he has to translate that in some ways into terms that are understandable to him, mm-hmm. even though he feels like she's very unromantic about their dawning romance. Yeah, she's like, eh, you know, I don't whatever. Know. Yeah. Right, go ahead, and you can rub my back. That's yeah, fine. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, sleep on the couch next to my couch. Mm-hmm. Um, they should just get beds. But in any case, the <laughs> I think they um, do <laughs> later. Yeah. But in any case, that this is a sort of. This seems like a really important idea in the chapter of like the sharing of feeling and the sharing of of feelings that aren't like, you know, these like grand emotions, right? But rather just like the kind of affect of being with other people or of attachment. And Nadia is like a good attractor of that, you know, a good center for that. Right. And so without being sentimental or without being, um, you know, I mean, and actually being quite forceful and, and unsentimental, she nonetheless, like, you know, is a way in which, like, good feeling manifests mm-hmm. among people. And that's a big part of how the Constitution gets done. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, people. And that we can, with, with that, we can actually start with the, the prologue to the chapter. Oh, yeah. Because, like, common feeling um, and the way that it just sort of happens and gets done is kind of given a, a folkloric. Um, tale here in the mm-hmm. in the opening about the story of the little red people and uh the dalai lama which is so <laughs> fascinating actually so one other thing that happened to me on my uh over my break is i went to a giant bookstore and so used bookstore in la the last bookstore and i found 
a copy of Escape from Kathmandu. Oh, oh uh, with nice. a very cool cover that I'll post online on our Twitter feed okay. <laughs> at Podcast cool. on Mars. Uh, <laughs> it's cool. It has the Yeti like wearing a Dodgers baseball cap. <laughs> Anyway, that's, that's all. <laughs> okay, so that's all done. Okay, that's all. Ants goodbye. came to Mars uh, <laughs> as part of the soil project. This, I just, um, uh, we talked during. I think maybe as long ago as Red Mars, but I mean, we've talked before about like what are these prolegs doing? Yeah. What do the folk tales do? Um, I told you at some point that my friend Phil had some really interesting kind of speculations right. about like these as um, like the way in which like the folktales relate to also the way in which these books think about uh, matters of spirit right. too. Um, and this one is so uh, just like the shape of it. Like, I mean, it has the, it has like a kind of, um, uh, almost like a kind of shaggy dog story shape in that like, so ants came to Mars and then the little people realized that they could be horses. They could be the equivalent of horses. So they start doing research into the ants. And then that leads them to realize that human beings are just like, what do they say? Horrible meat ants. They're giant, (laughs) giant meat ants. Because, because they begin to, the little red people begin to think humans are so just like, driven by uh appetite appetite by human pheromones. pheromones right now we know why these humans are such trouble they reported humans have no more will than these ants <laughs> we are riding around on they are giant meat ants i think that's like totally accurate i don't i can't find anything wrong with that line of reasoning i think uh i think it's amazing and i i just like i love the way in which this this prologue just unfolds in this ants Little red people, giant meat ants. Right. Oh, hey, the Dalai Lama. The Dalai Lama. The Bardo, reincarnation, telepathy. Yeah. Uh, you know, multiplicity. Mm-hmm. Um, the voice in everyone's ear. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's like this, like, um, yeah, that's like a great, I'm sure that like uh, students of folklore know what you call a like tale that unfolds that way. But it seems to me like a shaggy dog story because it doesn't, like it starts with something and that's not really the thing that matters in yeah. the end at all, right? But basically, the Dalai Lama inhabits the entire consciousness of the little red people, right? Right, Because right. um, they share a collective consciousness. Right. So he's um, right. So he's looking for where to be in re- reincarnated. So he's yeah. in the Bardo, which is like the transitional mm-hmm. space. Mm-hmm. And then uh, he's given up on the possibility. I mean, here we do have... It, there, yeah. there are two references, I think, to the Chinese in this chapter. Yeah. One is the one that the Dalai Lama makes, and one is a Chinese... Somebody speaking Mandarin through an AI translator mm-hmm. later on right. says to it, it says in a the, tra- the AI speaking in a lovely Scottish accent says to Art, "Have you read The Wealth of Nations?" That's so <laughs> funny, which is awesome. But here we get that's uh, so funny. Uh, I'm traveling the Bardo in search of my next reincarnation. I've looked everywhere on Earth, but I've had no luck, and I decided to look somewhere new. Tibet is still under the thumb of the Chinese, and they show no signs of letting up. The Chinese, though I love them dearly, are hard bastards. And the other governments of the world long ago turned their backs on Tibet, so no one will challenge the Chinese. Something needs to be done, so I came to Mars. Mm-hmm. Uh, good idea, good the idea. little red people said. Uh, and then, so yeah, he, and... and uh, mm-hmm. 
whatever. It's so great. I don't have anything to say about it. But the idea that, no, we're going to, we'll try it this way, not inhabit one single consciousness, but ha- inhabit this multi-consciousness yeah. of the little red people. Because they, um, they share a consciousness. They so. share a consciousness. And then maybe through their shared consciousness, it's kind of like the AI in Red Moon downloading itself to the hypercomputer, the supercomputers on the moon mm-hmm. uh, in a weird way. Yeah, right? yeah. Um, or, right. or the AI... Yeah, the AI from Earth downloading itself into the super into the supercomputer on Mars, on right. Moon, on the Moon, the Moon. I'm learning how to talk. Uh, um, you know, it's hard for all of us. We'll give it a try. The little red people said, but we're all going to have to shout at the top of our telepathic voices, <laughs> all in chorus, because these folks just aren't listening. I faced that for nine centuries now. The Dalai Lama said, <laughs> "You get used to it, and you and you little ones have the advantage of numbers. So give it a try." And so all the little red people all over Mars took up and took it, looked up and took a deep breath. And then we get this chapter about formulating a new constitution. It's so it's so good. It's so, so cool. Uh, and Art Randolph was having the time of his life. <laughs> and what I love to see is a happy Art Randolph. You love Art Randolph. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> Uh, you're just a jo- I identify with him very much because he just all he wants to do is be helpful and like make people coffee and like you know be a good humored person and yeah. like s- smooth out conflicts. Yeah, that is just like I'm you. Very synthetic. That's just like dude. you. Uh, the um, so I I love first of all there is an interesting like getting to think about the Dalai Lama reincarnated uh, you know into different forms but always the Dalai Lama over nine centuries is an interesting take on um, extended lifespan too, yeah, right? A different version sure. of the extended lifespan. And then, and there's a, like, because this chapter is also, has some really interesting thinking about it, in it about, like, as always, about historical interruption and continuity. Um, like, that's an idea about, like, uh, both what living is and what, like, living mm-hmm. on is and what historicity is that is both different and in some ways captured by that idea of like, well, you're going to live a thousand years, you know, um, that sort of extended thing. And then I also love about this opening that it takes this, um, you know, one of the like kind of classic sort of paranoid SF, um, you know, toposes that is like the hive mind, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And one of the classic paranoid locuses of uh, earthly thought, Mm -hmm. the mass, Mm -hmm. uh, the mass of people, and instead turns that into the like, you know, uh, it's the the structure of feeling, right? It's like, uh, you know, here, here's the production of a shared, a shared affect. And, you know, humans like, um, Humans will maybe is lacking in the face of our general like you know sort of meat sack mm-hmm. helplessness, um, and it might not be it might not be will mm-hmm. that we need so much as like you know the willingness to acknowledge the ways in which we do share things, and that acknowledgement might come through feeling rather than through you know conscious mm-hmm. choice or mm-hmm. reason or mm-hmm. whatever it is, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. which is an amazing, amazing way to say like, and now we're going to, all of those ideas, so, and now we're going to write a constitution. Yeah, yeah, that's the, yeah, the right spirit of sort of what to, the right, you know, framework of feeling to go into writing a constitution. Yep, right. For, and you get that moment flashing forward, we'll come back to it, but where Vlad, like, talks down Antar and just smacks him down. <laughs> and it's and it's it's a kind of example of that because Antar is going in seems to be exhibiting the feeling that a uh, uh, the the feeling the set of feelings that you wouldn't want in a collaborative constitution yes. making thing. He's just yes. completely dismissive. He just has 
comments that he hasn't thought through, that he has no evidence to back up. Yep. He's just being grouchy. He's just being a, a, a Twitter troll, basically. <laughs> and Vlad just completely smacks him down with like facts and logic, Wait, which, we know, which we know work every time. I mean, I think, but but part of what part of what Antar is doing there is he is just making, he is working, you know, just like Marx critiques the political economist for, like, right. he thinks that he is working from a position of logic. Right. This is what logic is. Exactly. This is the truth of what a market is. It must be free from interference, and then it will run itself properly. Um, but but all of those ideas actually rest on a set of presuppositions about what human beings are. Yes, right. right. I mean, and, you know, once again, like, we, we know... Um, maybe both from the Little Red Men and both from thinking about like the fact that we're on Mars and there are all these people who are born on Mars who have different feelings about things mm -hmm. than people who are born on Earth, that presuppositions about what human beings just are, you know, uh, maybe are unavoidable but have to be interrogated, yes. right? And that's the thing. That's kind of where Vlad gets him, yeah. right? It's he's like, that's not, right. you know, you're not actually just saying something logical. You're saying something ideological yeah, yeah. right there's an interesting moment too before or after that some i mean in proximity to that moment where art recognizes that there are native martians who are the same age but with radically different yeah. politics because yeah. some of them are born from um immigrants from earth nisei right um and so they have all the same kind of conservatism that uh, Earth immigrants have, but then there are um, fourth generation Yonsei uh, who uh, have been, you know, whose parents, grandparents, and great grandparents have been native Martians, basically, and so they are much more radical than than some of the people who they're the same age as. So it's it, it's a it's a it's part of a description that um, on page starting on page one fifty, I guess that art. Uh, gives of mm. how difficult it is to predict where anybody will be on an ideological scale. Yeah, There's yeah. These, it, it also goes speaks to this kind of like multi-ethnic, um, you know, pan-ethnic uh, grouping that they have. Where what would the like? It says something like the Swedish Ecuadorian, uh, you know, Zimbabwean position be like that's just it makes no sense to think in those terms anymore right right so you know we see that um that uh all of the ways in which like um ethnicity race and also national identity can feel um natural mm -hmm. on earth have become radically denaturalized mm -hmm. on mars because mm -hmm. partly because there just aren't reference to these things yeah. right so we have this um, here we get it very explicitly that this world is wildly, you know, multiracial, yeah. right? Um, is extremely diverse on our terms, but diversity doesn't work in the ways that we think of diversity as working, yeah. because the ways in which people have attachments and their sense of origin are so extremely different, right? And yeah, and that idea, I was also really struck by that idea of difference within the generation right mm -hmm. so that so that actually we're seeing um uh when we were reading green mars and we were talking about the ectogenes we talked a bit about how the idea of reproduction outside you know reproduction outside of quote unquote the womb mm -hmm. um also ultimately produces complications for 
our ideas about what generationality are, right? The relation between generations becomes very complicated um, in that form of biological reproduction. And here we see how generationality has also become complicated because of the the enormous range of just like ways of living Mm -hmm. on Mars too. Yeah, because like what separates them more than... um, age, race, or ethnicity is kind of what tent they belong to or what town they belong to. Because all those towns have, not radically, but sometimes uh, pretty significantly different modes of living, whether they're living underground, above ground, in a tent, in a rock somewhere. Right. Um, so those those just material conditions of living rather than kind of ideological ones have a lot bigger impact on how people conceive of themselves and what it what it means to be Martian or what it means to live on Mars, right? Yeah, yeah. This is also the yeah. kind of moment where he's uh, meditating about, mm. he's answering a question that I had from last week about how do you build a constitution, a multilingual constitution. Yes, yeah. And fortunately, we have these AIs who uh, do the translating mm, for us, mm-hmm. so they do a pretty good job mm-hmm. of it. But you do get these comical moments where someone will speak to you in Chinese for a minute, and then a Scottish translation will give you a question about yeah. the wealth of nations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway. When I was thinking also, this is a good, just like that, that stuff about generationality here is actually a good place for thinking about like why are like you know post World War Two American deep attachment to the idea of generation as explaining yeah. things is like such a bad like yeah. so really just like a bad way to think and and some of it is because it's a way you know it's a way of um, and particularly to the degree to we that we also in kind of daily lives identify ourselves as recognizable by generational characteristics and like you know maybe we are maybe we aren't right but as long as you think that way like there is a kind of first of all there's a, this idea about a kind of inevitability right you know like a generation people just born within a particular span yeah. right um and also like a tamping down of of difference too right and and a tan so there's like a tamping down of the political right there right well tamping down of both difference and commonality or similarity across these quote-unquote generations yes yes so that um you know you know the common one today obviously is millennial which is just such a weird grouping anyway because i'm almost a millennial and i'm nearly 40 but then most times when people talk about millennials, they're just talking about 18 to 22-year-olds, really, right, right. is what they're thinking about, which are not technically speaking, quote-unquote, millennials. But in a lot of ways, I have a lot more in common <laughs> with people who were born in 1999 than I do with a lot of people who were born in 1978 who actually own homes and have families or something like right, that, right? right. Um, and then also... I find like a lot of the discourse around like the kind of negative discourse around millennials comes from people who have millennial children. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and of course, when they talk shit about millennials, it's never they're never talking shit about their own kids. They're talking shit about all these other, you know, people who are ruining whatever mayonnaise for people. <laughs> uh, they're destroying the mayonnaise right, industry. They've destroyed right? the Olive Garden or Outback uh, Steakhouse or Diamond right, Rings or whatever. R.I.P. Unfortunately, I think Olive Garden and Outback Steakhouse are still going very strong oh. because the bo- baby boomers are still eating there. Uh, they're, they're still alive? <laughs> uh, 
so but I mean and the other I mean the other thing about it is like one thing that like when you think generationally it's like you know it's a version of saying that all futurity is is reproduction yeah. of the in the form that we understand reproduction working so it always has to be about you know the children and you can see in the ways that like people talk about generations now like the all the responses to what I would say are like the absolutely you know intelligent and admirable high school age people who have been doing at least activist right. style work against um gun violence gun violence right you know like so they have so well they're heroes and they teach us how to think because they're young and they've right. got energy right so either or but then the it's other a really side convenient of that is way of like displacing well they're doing the work mm, so i don't have to and they do it somehow out of like youth and purity yeah. right not out of anything else mm -hmm. and then and of course that's just the flip side of you know the sort of like that's the system works version and the other side of it is the cynical rash rationality of you know like they just want to eat their avocado toasts <laughs> and like you know get pink cases for their iphones or whatever it is you know like the, but those like all the only way that those the that the only place that thinking leads you to is on oh, them they'll grow up and they'll be parents yeah and when they're parents, they're so it is a you you'll know, change so, your mind when you have a mortgage. Yeah, then exactly. You'll vote Republican. Exactly. You know, like you may be a socialist now. You know. Yeah. Um, but hopefully, by the time you're old, you'll have evolved into anarchism. But the um, <laughs> <laughs> but I think that the, those are about like that's about like producing this constraint on thinking about like what the future is, mm -hmm. and part of that constraint is thinking that we have nothing to do with the future yeah. right it's like right. out of our hands because yeah. it's just made by this like strange machinery this like you know nostalgic amnesiac machinery of mm -hmm. generation mm -hmm. after generation mm -hmm. after generation you know yeah and the real sad part is that the you know like when these kids grow up and have their families uh they won't be able to own property and also you know uh half the people in the world will have drowned they'll have to share their <laughs> toothbrush with the whole neighborhood <laughs> Abol abolish private property, huh? Well, lady, you hear about when your coat gets stolen in the winter because you don't have any right to own it. Anyway. And of course, it also doesn't take... <laughs> this has nothing yeah. to do with this chapter. <laughs> I think it does. Okay. Generation. Well, whatever. I mean, actually, I think thinking about newness... like oh, I, yeah. I like that moment oh, yeah. when... Um, I know I have this marked, but I don't remember where it is. When Coyote... Mm -hmm. Coyote, you know, who is not a fan of the project of writing a constitution. Right. He basically um, says, you should take this and then just throw it away. Yeah. And he says, look, after every revolution, like, 156. you know, after yeah. every revolution, 156. After every revolution, there's an interregnum in which communities run themselves and all is well. And then the new regime comes in and screws things up. I think what you should do now is go to go out to the tents and canyons and ask mm. them very humbly how they have been running things these past two months and then throw this fancy constitution away and say, continue. You must be very scrupulous not to gather power into the center just because you can do it. Power corrupts. That's the basic law of politics. Maybe the only law. I mean you know it's a good point right mm -hmm. i mean and it's also interesting to think that we because we've talked so much about the revolutionary moment and the question that has come up again and again what comes after mm -hmm. what comes after it and there's a way in which writing the constitution looks like the right well that's the thing that should come after right. you know you have the moment of chaos or upheaval or you know um 
in which, uh, as we've discussed before, everything is given over to chance and to the unknown, mm -hmm. um, a radical difference. And then, of course, you should follow that up by mm -hmm. trying to like figure out how you can, um, you know, codify everything good that comes out of yeah. it. Um, and whether Coyote is, you know, I feel like whether we agree with Coyote or not, part of what he's saying is um, what matters are the ways in which people come to arrange their daily lives, yes, right. right? And that there is there is a sort of real danger in thinking about what the Constitution is, is a way of like... Um, not acknowledging that in the daily lives of people they are already making it happen mm -hmm. but instead like you know creating these kinds of like um barriers against the things that we are afraid mm, will happen interesting right? yeah yeah i was thinking about it in terms of thinking about like the if the revolution is these are these explosions where all this dust and debris gets kicked up and then mm -hmm. the dust settles down over that landscape and in a kind of equilibrium where people figure out mm you know, their own new ways of ongoingness, um, that the Constitution is simply, the way they're conceiving it is, and the way Art says, he's like, well, that's just what the Constitution does say, yeah. is like, continue doing what you're doing. Um, the Constitution becomes a kind of index of, of where that dust settles, a kind of mm -hmm. like registering mm -hmm. of it, right? Like, okay, now we see how this works, so we're going to try to institutionalize it and basically create an image of it. Right. Um, and we're going to try to live up to that image uh, and, and maintain that image as long as we can. Mm -hmm. um, of course, the image is perfect and static and it's on the wall in the mm -hmm. mirror stage. Mm -hmm. And we are doing all the messy work of trying to um, what uh, uh, run our ego audits every yeah. day or <laughs> the whatever. Inexhaustible squaring of the ego's uh, the, audits. Yes. <laughs> yes, I'm trying to do a Lacan uh, <laughs> reference, guys, but I'm a little rusty. Sorry. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, like so. Yeah, well, we have, it is the introduction of the symbolic. Exactly right? Yes. right. So we have this this new image, which is the new constitution, and we but we also have the messiness of actual living, and the the attempt will always be to reconcile those as closely as we possibly can and coyote is very much on the side of like you can't do it like just sort of don't fetishize the constitution basically yeah you know yeah. the real thing is living yeah. in the world yeah and i think here um in this chapter we have nadia in here um the person who can in some ways be powerful but is not the person who power corrupts at That's least right. not right you know here but instead is just like um, a facilitator of attachment mm -hmm. um, that allows people to collaborate with each other. We have her as the sort of vision of like, well, this this is actually what it looks like when you know you you can have a certain degree of centralized. You, you could have something like a version of a state, mm -hmm. you know, the kind of version that this constitution is producing, um, that would still be just like you know to use a metaphor in tune right yeah. would still be in the yeah. harmonics of like every the kind of stuff that isn't rational that doesn't get enfolded into the sorts of rationalization that then produce bureaucracy centralization etc cetera, etc cetera. Mm -hmm. and then on the other side of that of course we also have jackie, jackie. hanging around here who is full of charisma yeah. and the glamour of charisma and um you know the power of charisma and who is also the kind of person who can have been arguing for an executive and a strong centralized state and then by the end of the chapter when they've lost the day mm -hmm. 
apparently be willing to say that, of course, she wasn't arguing for it all along, right? And there, that's that version of, that's the thing that, like, that idea that, you know, that, you know, the basic law of politics is that power corrupts. Well, you know, she's she's there as the, like, image of that. Yeah, she already wants, she wants to be the queen of Mars. She wants, she doesn't see, she and Antar Mm -hmm. have this, like, alliance that's very, um, that's, like, happy with capitalism happy with a strong central government all that stuff um and yeah so she's on the exact opposite side of that and nadia is this kind of like ideal person to occupy that space what is she the grand mediator i can't remember what her (laughs) i can't remember what her uh title was from the dorsa conference but it's something about like regulator or mediator or something like that i feel like Um, mediator i think it's mediator definitely not regulator um but Jackie's like just completely the opposite of that. Why why do you think in some ways it seems weird to me? I mean, I love the scene with Vlad because yeah. it's just like, you know, it's like listening to like I don't know, David Harvey or Richard Wolf or like one of these yes. like, you know, old dudes just like lay it down in yeah. a way that you're like, that's right, it's Explain- not that hard. Why are we fighting well, all the time? Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it too because it is that great moment where, <clears throat> yes, this old dude, Vlad, who we've never heard from at all. I mean, there's this whole <laughs> setup to his speech where it's explained that like Vlad, Marina, and Ursula have like, there are their own <clears throat> hermetically sealed unit and they don't talk about how their relationship works at all. And Vlad is the quiet one, even though he's the one who developed the longevity treatment. But nobody actually, really knows that, right? Nobody's, because they nobody, don't advertise it, right? Or, right, right. I mean, I wish... We I, don't know that. The thing that would make the scene better is if it was Marina, Vlad, and Ursula talking at the same time. That would be That would be amazing. Awesome. Right. Uh, like talking in unison. Yes, Yeah. in unison. Or just like following up each other's thoughts. That would be you cool, know? yeah. That um, would be cool. Yeah, that would be better than in unison, I think. In unison would be <laughs> creepy. Um... <laughs> But we have that thing of like, he's the one who developed the longevity treatment, which actually answers another question back mm. from Red Mars, where in the, in one of the prologues to one of the parts, I think it's it's either John Boone or Sachs are with some unnamed person mm-hmm. describing mm-hmm. the longevity treatment. And uh, I think we were both confused as to who it was supposed to be, but I guess it's Vlad. Right. So it's Vlad and Ursula developed the longevity yeah. treatment. And then and Marina's Vlad the and Marina yeah. developed the, the eco-economics. Yeah, right. Um, which is a great... I mean, the other thing that's great about that is not only are they like their own unit that everybody wants to be able to name what they are yeah. or say like that, you know, like it must be that the two women are together <laughs> yeah. and he's just their adjunct or, you he's know, they're both his wives or yeah. whatever it is. Yeah. But it also, I just love that it's like, uh, that's right, you know, like also disciplinarity is, uh, mm-hmm. you know, like a way, it gets in the way of you being able to like figure out how to do new things, mm-hmm. right? Uh, anyway, continue. What was I going to say? I can't remember. Vlad, Vlad gets up. Oh, it's this great thing. So you mentioned David Harvey and, and Richard Wolf. Yeah. And I love that thing of like young people know think they know everything. And then it's like, no, actually, you really need to study Marxism for about 50 <laughs> years before you have anything interesting to say about it. So just shut up. Or maybe at least 10 or 30, 20 years or something. Maybe not 50. But um, yeah. 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 No, I, lo- I love that scene with Vlad. Although I do wish that one of the women was getting to talk. It's true. I mean, just you know, just FYI, but, um, uh, but although I totally, I mean, I really like Vlad and then I love the idea of, I mean, I think it's another like really kind of, um, it's like a charming feature of the first hundred that, you know, 
here we learn that actually the people who we've spent the most time with are not really the most brilliant people of the first 100, yeah, right? right? You know, yes. like, because of course, there's I think, this whole other world of things that have been going on behind the scenes that we don't know about. Exactly. And that we've seen that we've seen the outcomes of, but we haven't seen the process. And that Stan doesn't have to write about. <laughs> Robinson doesn't. Have, it's like, that can just happen off camera and then I can explain their results later. But also it's like, you know, I mean, I think it produces this funny way in which like, um, it's like it's stopping you from thinking that like, uh, you know, Sax must be the weird, the secret hero or, right. I mean, probably nobody thinks Maya is the hero, although, I'm, but you know, Maya's a good candidate for a hero yeah. or, you know, dead John Boone is the hero or whatever yeah. it is. Right. Um, because, you know, there are these people who are doing something that is quiet and yeah. then, and then when they have to like being forceful yeah. about it yeah and it also uh speaks too to vlad's development of the longevity uh treatment which is that uh all the pieces were there and it just took them to put it together yeah. basically so that 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 is you know how history and innovation and all those good things develop is like lots of people collaboratively invent, yeah. yeah and and over and across time uh collaborate indirectly collaboratively right like other people are working on this right. one thing over here and then they die and you never meet them but then you discover it 50 years later and you're right. like oh this goes right into this and you know you never had to meet that person because of the uh technology of writing right right <laughs> um, right right exactly exactly um, um one interesting thing that also happens in this chapter is that a delegation leaves to earth that's right. Which we should probably wait, save until the end of the discussion of this chapter because the next chapter That's the next chapter is, is on Earth. Green Mars on Earth. Um, and that delegation consists of Nergal, Maya, Michelle, and Sachs. Yeah. Um, and they're getting like constant sort of... Uh, Sachs is getting <clears throat> sort of uh, updates about the Constitutional Congress on, on their way out there. And Coyote is very nervous for Nergal <clears throat> because, of course, he's Mars is the only planet he's ever known but Nergal feels really it's necessary for me to go there so they can see me for themselves see, right see who we are see what we are and Jackie is mad at Nergal for going yeah, and art, we don't like, quite yeah. know what I mean I think we really don't know exactly what that fight is mm -hmm. about but she's mad at him for going and then we also learn in this chapter that um, once again, Life on Mars has become the greatest show on Earth yes. because people on Earth are watching like um super cuts of yeah. what happens in the meeting of the delegates, which I think, you know, there we see like, you know, so people on earth are living in um, extraordinary inequality, uh, chaos of a variety of kinds, in, including, uh, you know, environmental, mm -hmm. uh, you know, this kind of environmental devastation causing um, chaos and loss of life. Uh, so that there's a real like longing one assumes like procedure starts to look good right yeah, or, like right. you know uh, yeah working together and trying to make things better begins to look really good when yeah. you that's like the reality show you want to watch when yeah. you're you know your entire planet is in chaos what's well, like why parks and recreation is so appealing <laughs> because everyone's just so happy and supportive all the time and like you know they're just put on like parks events in this like white bread indiana town in in uh in indiana uh <laughs> that happens to have you know a couple of quirky people of color but isn't <laughs> but isn't like so parks and rec yeah is uh, i mean this is probably like an is overly it, general tangent? Okay. overly generalized mean thing to say mm. but isn't it appealing to us in our moment of um you know the constant remembering that we're actually 
not about to be in chaos, but already in this chaotic moment. Right. It's appealing in the same way that like The Walking Dead is appealing. Mm, yeah. And Parks and Rec and saying like, don't worry, you know, everything's the same. Yeah. And The Walking Dead and saying, don't worry, everything will be the same. We'll still be the same, like, you know, uh, uh, whatever. Nature will still be red and tooth and claw and we'll still be competitive and form families mm -hmm. even after like 90% of us are zombies mm -hmm. or whatever, you know. It'll yeah. be the comfort of disaster or the comfort of like extreme normativity with like, you know, quirky difference or whatever. They're the same right? show. I They're agree. <laughs> and also, you know, I, 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 I'll go back to that uh, quote from Hannah Arendt that I read like months and months ago about we can't hope for total collapse and we can't hope for some return to uh, some, you know, dreamed yes. nostalgic past. Those are those are both the same hope. So, yes, yes. Parks and Recreation and The Walking Dead fulfill that same fantasy of like, well, maybe everything will end or everything will just magically return yes. to some, you know, what it is to be normal. No, right. those right. are those are bad hopes and right. we shouldn't think about those. And yeah, and, it, and in neither case is part of the problem that yeah. we operate with a set of false assumptions about what human nature is yeah. that are comforting to us because they tell us that we are living in the only possible way that we could be living, right? right? I mean, that's what you'd want to watch. I mean, I would watch a show about people writing a constitution. Of course you would. <laughs> Hear that, HBO? <laughs> Hillary Strang would watch it. I mean, whatever. I watch Game of Thrones, too. That is, is like about the, writing a constitution. It's like a, it's a show about the opposite of writing a constitution. <laughs> it's a show about, about how we're like, oh, my God, maybe an incestuous aristocracy will save us. Okay. So, well, maybe they will. Um, the Clintons. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> they're not incestuous ew, yet. Oh, ew. Um, art looking. Okay. So, Art is kind of really falling in love with Nadia. He is like making the coffee before the, the Kava Java. The Kava Java and the coffee <laughs> and the Kava. Um, I do love I, something I like about these books their openness to the idea that like maybe being high would actually be really helpful. For sure. <laughs> totally. Like, you just got to find your balance, man. <laughs> Um, there are all these debates about a minimalist constitution versus like a maximalist constitution, basically. Um, right. uh, and they all take place around the table of tables. The table of tables. Um, I, I love just to say this is a just like a small thing. Um, mm -hmm. But this is it's so um, the list of beautiful and satisfying to me on 120 to 121. Just the lists of the towns and the political parties and other organizations that are all going to be represented. And I love it because I love a list inside a novel, sure. right? You know, because the list like takes you out of narrative progression and into this leveling form. What's the yeah. logic of a list? It's a list. Um, but also because we like both get to revisit these places and also think, oh, do I remember what that what that play? Do I remember Mouse Hyde? Who is that named for? Yeah. Is it named for Marcel Mouse? Probably. Um, and Hyde you, Park. And <laughs> Hyde Park. <laughs> so my town on Mars is going to be called. Uh, uh, you know the. There's just a place called Overhangs. Yeah, it's so good. I just I really Montepulciano. The Italians are just going to go up there and we're like we're just calling it after our town. Yeah. On Earth. Um. Anyway, whatever. I just, I, I, I love that moment and I love it as like, this is a way of like acknowledging and acknowledging that you're in this world. It's like such a great move to like uh, 
put you there. It's like yeah. having a map. Yeah. But it's not a map because they're not ordered or positioned. Right. They're just listed. Yeah. I like, too, that um, part of this section is all about how people um, sort of have multiple and con sometimes conflicting uh, priorities mm. so that the towns as well as the political parties mm. have a seat at the table. So you might live in a town but belong to a different political party than the person that you, than, the, than your fellow town yeah. person, yes. right? Yes. And some of these political parties and other organizations are, are amazing too. We have again, the return of Schnelling, the mm -hmm. mysterious Schnelling mm -hmm. and the Schnellingistas. But then we have the editorial board of the <laughs> Journal of Areological Studies, which is thinking, everyone's dream. Like, I, I was just like thinking, that's the what, perfect dream for an academic, right? Is there, is there an editorial collective that you would allow to be writing a constitution? I mean, not critical inquiry. Oh, no. But I, um, I mean, maybe, maybe the social text editorial collective. Yeah, social text. That's what I was trying to think of. Social text for sure. Yeah, um, definitely. Uh, anyway, I just find that like um, a... The, that's so And then we've awesome. just got good old Christian Democrats. Good old Christian. They're, they're always there, just going to be there. Hanging you out. Know? Yeah. Uh, Friends of the Earth, Separation de la Atmosphere. Oh, this was the question that I was going to ask you. And then we hmm. started talking about Vlad and a million other things <laughs> happened. But um, like, why, why do, why or under what, what evidence or what experience is it that makes Jackie and Antar, who maybe just thinks whatever Jackie thinks. Like, why are, Why do they think capitalism is a good idea? They haven't been living under capital. No. And they have been actively involved, and they want to separate from Earth yeah. utterly, right? And they have been involved directly in battling the Metanats. I mean, I don't feel like we... And, and the, and the uh, transitional authority... You know... Yeah, like, what is their back? What is their motivate? What's motivating like, them for I, I, this? Yeah, like it's not totally. I I or get what, I get why they want a centralized executive, right. and why you know they want there to be like a charismatic president. Um, but yeah, like, how did they get into capital? You know, he said, I don't know. Um, I mean, it it obviously goes with the strong centralization that they mm -hmm. want to be king and queen of mars yeah. essentially that you know their their relationship in green mars uh started out that way mm -hmm. even because he was already this kind of prince right, of right, the, right. the care of, of one of the major caravanseries or whatever um right or right. Of the, yeah um and jackie has this conception of herself as john boone's daughter and like the rightful heir of blah 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 with no real kind of political ideology to back that up so it seems like she's grappling grasping yeah, on to yeah. political and economic ideologies and ideas that further bolster her claim to that sense of herself right yeah. herself is really wrapped up in her her conception of herself as john boone's daughter and who john boone was right so it it kind of fulfills a narcissistic urge in her to find the things that will uh, maintain her psychological position right um and capitalism, maybe for her, although we don't really hear 
do we hear from her? I mean, it's mostly we between don't, we Antar don't hear from her. And, and, him. We, and we actually don't hear that much from Antar. I mean, Antar just spits out a few pieces. He of says, like, you know, yeah, markets. Some complain. This is on 141. Some complain mm-hmm. because it impinged on local autonomy, the eco-economic system impinged on local autonomy. Others, because they had uh, more faith in traditional capitalist economics than in any new system. Antar, Antar spoke often for this last group with Jackie sitting right next to him, obviously in support. This, along with the tie, his ties to the Arab community, gave his statements a kind of double weight, and people listened. This new economy that's being proposed, he declared one day at the Table of Tables, repeating his theme, is a radical and unprecedented intrusion of government into business. And Thank you, Paul where, Ryan. Exactly. Paul Ryan. Um, uh, and then this is where Vlad stands up and, and gives delivers the smackdown. Um, and... Um, and of course, he you know he uh, traps him in a kind of dialectical, uh, <laughs> Socratic uh, you know. It's just like you're wrong. Trap. Like, do you believe in democracy? Yes. Then why don't you believe in democracy in the workplace, right? Um, and one question I really want to ask Stan when we get to talk to him next is who he was reading at the time in the '80s and the early '90s about worker cooperatives, about, yeah. Because this is an idea that's come uh, back uh, really strongly in the last two years with the current collapse of capitalism, uh, especially um, uh, advocated for by Richard Wolff, if anyone is interested in worker co-ops. He has a organization called Democracy at Work, which is all about like democratizing the workplace, basically. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Right. So I'm, I'm curious as to who sort of Stan was reading at the time. Um, I mean, I guess we can see the the sort of the attraction of this as part of the argument that um, I mean, Vlad makes explicitly here and that crops up in a bunch of places um, in these novels and in other of uh, Stan's novels, which is about capitalism as a as a a kind of feudalism redux. Right. I mean, so Vlad says it specifically here and we can see that like, um, yeah, you know, so if what you, so one, you know, like the sort of idea about what an individual is that seems to be driving Jackie, at least I think we can, you know, maybe guess that. Although we really still know so little about her except for from the outside. Mm-hmm. I think there's a chapter in this book. I believe that there is too. And position. I don't think it makes you like her very much more. No. Um, but, uh, you know, I mean, maybe, you know, whatever. We talked about how that's complicated. But But we can also see how, like, when what you want is that, like, your sort of self-justification is that you are the inheritor of yeah. something, right? There is a kind of like, um, there is an aristocratic presumption yes. to that. And of course, yes. that that is so deeply, I mean, I think it's it actually is really useful to like, it's a useful countering of like all of the mythologizing that ideology and like people like Paul Ryan, for example, <laughs> do of the individual, right? Um, and the self-made person is to think about uh, how much and how obsessed at least capital in its current form and all the way back um, is with um, with inheritance mm-hmm. and with um, uh, lineage yeah, and with and, and, and yeah, yeah and, and the sort of like um, you know not just that one deserves what one has but also that one has earned what yep. one inherited yes. right I mean and that you know. Uh, and yeah, that and that would explain a lot about why Jackie, yeah, uh, specifically, but also Antar gloms onto capitalism, right, 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 right. Um, I think it's, it, yeah. I mean, I think it's interesting that they. It, it does still seem to me like non-obvious that that's the position that they would take up right. because I do think it, in some ways, 
uh, it is foreign to Mars, right? We've seen it's just like not sure. how economics have been working on yeah, Mars. Right. Um, yeah, and it's kind of, I mean, there's this moment, I would, I would love to read all of Vlad's speech, but we're not going to, we're already at an hour. But, um, you know, on 143, um, uh, most of the day we return to feudalism. So this is where he's, this is another thing of uh, common Robinson trope of capitalism is just feudalism uh, by a different name uh, with, with different rules. Uh, for most of the day we return to feudalism. That is what capitalism is, a version of feudalism in which capital replaces land and business leaders replace kings. But the hierarchy remains. And so we still hand over our lives labor under duress to feed rulers who do no real work. Business leaders work, Antar said sharply, and they take the financial risks. <laughs> the so-called risk of the capitalist is merely one of the privileges of capital. Management, yes, yes, don't interrupt me, <laughs> right? <laughs> Management's a real thing, a technical matter. Um, and, you know, obviously the, the, idea, the idea that business leaders or managers do work is true, but also, do they do the kind of work that's consummate with the amount of remuneration <laughs> no. they, they, they take and the, the, the level at which they're able to direct the, the distribution of the surplus that that work no, produces, and, right? And I think we, we could also just feel comfortable with saying that like uh, a lot of them don't actually do that much oh, work yeah, at all, right? Oh, yeah. turns out like uh, they don't do anything. And yeah, uh, David Graeber is another great person to read on yeah. this. Like, <laughs> the, but that the I, I like how succinctly Vlad says capital itself is simply the useful residue of the work of past yes. laborers um you know yeah right dead labor reawakened by the process of labor itself it could belong to everyone as well as to a few i mean it does belong to everyone because it is the work of everyone mm -hmm. um i mean this i like this part partly because it like is very succinct i mm -hmm. mean vlad packs a lot into yeah. a very short yeah. um speech i also i wanted to talk before we because i know we've been talking for a long time but i wanted to make sure that we talked about um the part on 152 and 153 which is arts yes vision. this vision that art has because i think this is a really um this is such a great reflection about history and so many of our kind of themes that we've come back to about history and newness and like what the present is and what it means to make the present historical mm -hmm. um uh, uh, I'll read the, so, you know, okay, go for whatever art is again, like, um, exhausted and falling asleep. I love that he's been sleeping on the floor a lot. Just like he lies down I, wherever. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it does seem like a, it's nice to work that hard and then just collapse wherever you find a bed, you know, like to be that dedicated to something and yeah. working so hard all mm -hmm. day long. And then just like, you just zonk out wherever it is yeah. that you zonk out. It's kind of a nice uh, feeling to have. Probably not all the time. Not, no, not all the time. But, you know. No. Anyway, go ahead. Uh, the strangeness came back all at once. It was a kind of hypnagogic vision. There were shadows in the corners, innumerable flickering shadows, and eyes in the shadows. Uh, shapes like insubstantial bodies. All the dead, it suddenly seemed, and all the unborn, all there in the warehouse with them. I love that this is all in a warehouse. That's like just... Uh, you know, like metaphorically or whatever, just awesome. Uh, all there in the warehouse with them to witness this moment. 
As if history were a tapestry and the Congress the loom where everything was coming together, the present moment with its miraculous thereness, its potential right in their own atoms, Mm -hmm. their own voices, back again to the little red men, Mm -hmm. right, whispering in their ears, looking back at the past, able to see it all, a single long braided tapestry of events, looking forward to the future, able to see none of it, though presumably it branched out in an explosion of threads of potentiality and could become anything. They were two different kinds of unreachable immensity, and all of them traveling together from the one into the other through that great loom, the present, the now. Now was their chance for all of them together in this present. The ghosts could watch from before and after, but this was the moment when what wisdom they could muster had to be woven together to be passed on to all the future generations. And I I think that that is, it's a beautiful piece of writing, and it's a, like... The image of the present as the as the tapestry, right, as something woven, I like partly because it, um, I think it pushes a little bit on um, always thinking that what we're looking at is a dialectical logic here because the logic of weaving is something, something else mm-hmm, is happening. Mm-hmm. Um, but also I love this because this is this, um, there's this great invocation of the, of Edmund Burke versus Tom Paine here, mm. right? So in um, Burke's reactionary reaction to mm-hmm. the revolution in France, he says, um, you know, what the Constitution, the British Constitution, the unwritten Constitution mm-hmm. of Britain, which mm-hmm. he's referring to, is a partnership, a partnership between the dead, the living, and those yet to be born. Um, and and he and his point is to say, like, and in the French Revolution, like, they're throwing away tradition and history. And, of course, the way things have always been is the way things must be. Right. I mean, because he's essentially defending, I mean, many things. But in particular, like, a hierarchically structured society, yeah. right? Um, and when Tom Paine writes The Rights of Man, the, um, responding directly to Burke, one of the things he says is, no, our job as as revolutionaries, the job of the French Revolution is to throw away the manuscript assumed authority of the dead. In other words, the dead can't have a say. And, he, and instead, he says a very weird thing, which is the world has to be new to every generation. Every generation can make the world the way it wants it. It should be new. Every child is born the same as Adam was born. The world is new to him. So there's some like ideas in there that are like not... Um, you know, that are proprietarian and, like, not awesome also. And also it's a super weird idea, right, that, you know, you would be born into a new world and your job is to make it. Mm-hmm. But that opposition gets, like, played with here. And and when art says, like, no, we are in this process of making right now, and we can't just say that the past isn't there or we don't aren't haunted in some ways by a future too, but they have no role in right. this, right? The making is what we're doing right now, right. which is about, like, um, allowing for potentiality, but making something that is our our present, right? right. I don't know, whatever. I think it's just yeah. this really awesome moment. No, no. And it, uh, the next section starts with, they could do anything. That, however, was part of what made it difficult to bring the Congress <laughs> to a close, right? Infinite possibility was going to collapse in the, in the act of choosing to the single world line of history, the future becoming the past. There was something disappointing in this passage through the loom, this so sudden diminution from infinity to one, the collapse from potentiality to reality, which was the action of time itself. The potential was so delicious, the way they could have potentially all the best parts of all good governments of all time combined magically into some super 
superb as yet unseen synthesis or throw all that aside and finally strike a new path to the heart of just government. To go from that to the mundane problematic of the Constitution as written was an inevitable letdown and instinctively people put it off. On the other hand, it would certainly be a good thing if their diplomatic team were to arrive on Earth with a completed document, mm. right? Um, and it, yeah, those this kind of like uh, suspension in this kind of utopian, uh, literally utopian moment of like they're outside of time, they're outside of history, mm-hmm, they're just trying mm-hmm. to like, uh, you know, tie it all together um, is really just a, like a beautiful uh, image and the loom and the tapestry is great. But it also, I wanted to also read, I flagged this other moment uh, on 127 earlier in the chapter, right right when they kind of start writing the Constitution, which is also about opening up this space of potentiality. Uh or 126, rather. For the moment, the Da Vinci Crater technical group was in control of Martian space. They were keeping all space shuttles from docking at Clark or aero braking into Martian orbit. No one believed that this alone made them truly free, but it did give them a certain amount of physical and psychic space to work in. This was the gift of mm. the revolution. They were also driven by the memory of the battle for Sheffield. The fear of civil war was strong among them. Anne was in exile with the Kakazi, and sabotage on the outback was a daily occurrence. There were also tents that had declared independence from anyone and a few metanat holdouts. There was turmoil generally and a sense of barely contained confusion. They were in a bubble in history, a moment only. It could collapse mm. any time. And if they didn't act soon, it would collapse. It was, simply put, time to act, mm. which is to say to sit down at a table and, and talk. And talk. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's and, great. And That's think great. and conceive and like create, right? Um, in this kind of ultimate act. But then, yes, that eventually has to come to an end, and they, and as does our episode. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, well, but, I mean, it's interesting to think that that, so we have um, uh, so, something about what the little red men are whispering in people's ears is about letting people be present to each other, right, rather than figures for things, but actually, like, you know, human relation being present, right? And that lets people work together because they're, they have a bond or some kind of cooperative something. Or there's something about like being, you know, being in the kind of moment together. Um, uh, and then, you know, we have Coyote saying, you should just be going to the right. tents and asking them right. what they're doing right. and saying, please keep doing it because it's in the dailiness and the creativity that is natural to human living together. Mm -hmm. It's in that daily life that, you know, you know, that's a, that's what the future is, right? right? The future is being able to allow for that kind of thing to continue flourishing to, Mm -hmm. you know, not tamp on tamp down all that creativity. Um, We have that idea of the present as a bubble, right? You know, that will burst and then who knows what will happen, right? So this is the special time, Mm -hmm. right? The interregnum, the special time. Um, And then that idea of like the, like the present as like the weaving, right? Mm -hmm. All of these things coming together. And, you know, when art thinks, yeah, but you know, like when we finish this, we just enter back into history and the magnificence of potential is gone. Um, he thinks about that weaving, you know, as com- just becoming a, th- mm. a thread, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I mean, but but the image that he's produced before mm-hmm. of like the tapestry of all of these different threads being woven together and keeping on being woven, presumably that image of the loom, 
is not the image of producing a single thread. It's the image of producing something else, right? right? So I think it's uh, I think it's quite interesting to think like um, you know what we think the present is, what we think the future is has a great deal to do about what we think the present yes, is. Right. And what we think the present is, is a way of um, either expanding or like delimiting what we think possibility is for us in the future. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean that we're always, we're actively constituting the present. It's not just a given. Yeah. It is being constituted. We're doing constantly. it right now. We're doing it right now. Yeah. We're, you know, I mean, I yeah. think that, and that I think is. And to, and to be conscious of that. Yes. Uh, yeah. Is where, where art is right now on the point of yeah. exhaustion. Yes. Just slumped over yes. next to a wall, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. That um, this is actually uh, an image of every moment. It just happens to be that we've created the table of tables. Yeah. <laughs> and that we're actually um, doing it in, and talking about it. But then at the same time, it's like paradoxical because what's the, re the reality of the present is outside in the tents Constitu yeah. constituting itself yes. naturally yes. Uh, just simply by human living together. Uh, whereas what we're doing is ironically deeply artificial. Right, making the form, making Make, the form. Yeah, making a making form. Making the form for the content. Playing by the rules, right? We can do anything, but can they really do anything, right? I mean, which is why I think it's so great that the the document that they end up producing is the document, and then at the end, it's just all these appendices uh, of everything that everybody sent them, including all of like the letters from Earth and things yeah. that people posted on the bulletin board. Like you and, like Chinese food yeah. is in there, right? Uh, so just like, you know, so there we have, right, so the document isn't a document without that supplement, right. right? And that's the part of it that doesn't look like a constitution in the way that we understand it at right. all. Because, like, that's not a form. That's just, like, appendices. Yeah. It's, you know, all of this other stuff. The it's ephemera, not arranged the, in any way. It's the ephemera. The desiderata. It's the archive, right. you know? But there it is. That, for this, this constitution, like, the archive of its making is part of what it is it, yeah and it and it has to be because it is like this brand new thing that everyone you know because everyone has been involved in mm. doing i mean we can actually imagine something like this happening today with twitter right i mean <laughs> i mean honestly like or the internet in general right yeah. but um but it is a it, it is an image of like the it is an image in 1995 or 6 of what the internet wasn't yet but could eventually be if of course it wasn't controlled by capitalists yeah um <clears throat> but uh but 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 that anybody can submit anything that they want from the sort of substantive to the trivial uh to the um you know dismissive or or just yeah, sarcastic yeah. right um and that and that all of those utterances ought to be included in the catalog of what this constitution marks what it indexes about the present moment right 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 and it's also an image that's that says that like the relationship of the you know that the form is not static right but is always in a relationship to content mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. right and and similarly you know so that 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 the the sort of the formal document doesn't exist aside from this um you know um uh whatever like um totally like irrational um polyglot polyglot uh -huh. um uh you know um mass of other stuff that can't get that doesn't get assimilated into forms but is still traveling along 
with it. Right. 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 Yeah. Uh, it, yeah. It can't. It can't exist outside of the activity activities right. that it seeks to um, document. Yeah. In a way. Yeah. Um, and it can only ever do that. Uh, 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 what's the word? Um, it can only ever approximate that. It can never fully like right. match right. that asymptotically. Ah, asymptotically. I got it. Brought, <laughs> brought it back to Lacan. We get, by the end of the chapter, we get a, um, mm. we get a kind of, we get an outline of what the, what the new government looks like. Mm-hmm. I think it's, is it even before that? Uh, it's on 154, uh, the kind of, you know, um, general structure of the government, two house legislature, mm-hmm. double judicial branch, one of which is an environmental one. Um, and there's this compromise that that um, Art uh, gets the Reds to agree to called the Grand Gesture, where the Reds, you know, get a, an outsized sort of contingent on the environmental courts or something like that, and some agreements about uh, terraforming and things. Um, and then, yeah. Right. A, t- a two-part legislature, um, one part of which is deprofessionalized, right? Mm-hmm. So that uh, the bigger the bigger house, the Duma, is um, people who are just drafted from the populace. Well, the yeah, right. The other oh yeah, uh, the Senate is elected from each town or village group larger right. than five hundred people, of but a weak legislature. Mm-hmm. And then the the also the courts have their own mix of members that were appointed, elected, and drawn by lottery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? I mean, the, de- the deprofessionalization of politics is a really important and, you know, like, basic Very idea here. Very much so. So important that, you know, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez was a bartender last year. Right. You know, um, hopefully she doesn't become a professional politician. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, this is, it's an amazing sort of, structure of government and then like the vote is like 95 percent of the people participate in it and it passes by like 75 78 percent or something like that um luckily boy i was (laughs) i was wondering (laughs) whether robinson would like you know (laughs) vote down his own constitution (laughs) that he just spent 50 pages writing um uh so it's very exciting yeah it's super exciting and then we're going to earth we're just going into the heart of the you know, the I, old. We're going to the old world. I want the old pre- disastrous world. I want to, yeah. I want to preview the the next chapter just ever so slightly because we had that moment when Coyote sends Nergal, his son, to Earth, and he's very nervous about him. And at the end of the of uh, a new constitution, we have this report: over ninety five percent of the population voted. The constitution passed seventy eight percent to twenty two percent, garnering just over nine million votes. They had a government. And then the next page is. On Earth, meanwhile, the Great Flood dominated everything. Man. So that's it. And it's a Nergal chapter. And that's just a taste of what's to come uh, in the next chapter, uh, Green Earth, um, which just couldn't be more different to my recollection than a new constitution. Um, And uh, just a great pairing of chapters for our current moment when we're hanging on the precipice, when the West Antarctic ice ice sheet is hanging off a precipice. Yes. And we're all about to die. Yep. In yep. real life. In real life. Happy holidays. Okay, congratulations us. Happy New Year. <laughs> Happy New Year. And, uh, oh, um, follow us on Twitter at Podcast on Mars. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can uh, email us at 
podcast marooned on, on marooned Mars on Mars podcast, podcast at gmail.com you can uh, subscribe obviously we're on many um many in, platforms 10 different platforms many. stitcher itunes google play things that i've never heard of before <laughs> but if you subscribe to us if you have the anchor.fm app you can leave us one minute long voicemails Ooh, voicemail which That's are always right. fun to get oh yeah you can also rate and review us on all those places uh yeah is including we got a we got a recent review on um the itunes app which was very uh or the itunes whatever which was very nice and they asked us our opinions about a couple of other ksr books i think they asked me about what my opinion was on new york 2140 i liked it a lot loved new york 2140 i asked, mean i'm sorry they only wanted to know your opinion they but asked I loved you it. uh what your opinion was i think on aurora i i'm teaching aurora uh in like a month so that should answer your question but also i love aurora and you can actually um you can find a little essay i wrote about aurora on a um website called the blackstone review oh called i know the, the blackstone. blackstone review uh i know that yeah uh, which i think is not is no longer um publishing but there's a piece i wrote about aurora well, i'll put it. it in the show notes yeah put it in the show notes um anyway i love aurora Hillary loves Aurora. I also love New York 2140. And 2140 and um, Red Moon. I love lists. I love listing things. (laughs) It's amazing. A lot of love in this room. So uh, that's it for this week. Yeah. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. And uh, we'll see you next week for Green Earth. Green Earth. Cool. Bye. All right. Bye. Oh,